everyone, and welcome to another edition of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. This is episode 16. Um, and today, on with me today are Felix and Andrew of Hedgeye China and Hedgeye Communications. And we're going to have a discussion uh, that's going to fly all over the place, but we're going to start with China a little bit. Felix, you know I love your space. You know I love your research also, of course, and your dedication and how on top of it you are. Um, you're sp- and, and in part, I love your space because there's so much um, optionality, right? There's so much potential in the development of uh, Chinese technologies and Chinese software and hardware and, and Chinese business models and uh, mobile gaming and all of that and entertainment. Um, there's just enormous opportunities as the country continues to go from kind of like, you know, lo, you know, mostly poor to middle class to developing mm-hmm. wealth and upper middle class. There's just sort of like this long tail of opportunity for businesses. But year to date, um, the sector has been better as a short than anything else. And yeah. I wanted to just put like our thinking hats on for a second. And, and well, first of all, Maybe just in your own words, I'd love to hear like why you think it's been a the sector's just been horrible year to date. And you can also include like I don't know if like there was an inappropriate rally in the back half of 20 or I don't know whatever any context off of 2020 if you want to do that. Um, so the first question is the sort of like the why, um, and then the second question is like I'm thinking about like how do we how do we think about the space over the next month and over the next 10 years? Because, like, the asset values, like, the opportunity sets are still there, right? Or, or at least tell me what you think are going to be the assets that will have duration in Chinese equities, the ones that we'll look back in 10 years and we'll be like, I mean, obviously, you know, we're going to moderate our opinion a lot over the, over the next 10 years, but I'm saying from, from where you sit today, over the next 10 years, which of the asset classes in China where you're going to look back and be like, yeah, you see, like if you just bought them, um, you'd have like a massive, you know, et cetera. So that's a big, big ball of questions. And Andrew's got a bunch as well on this. So why don't you kick it off with that and then we'll interrupt you along the way. Sure. Uh, thanks for that intro, Ami. Um, so let me just say a few things. If you had to boil it down to one word on what's going on in China, it's regulation. Um, and we've, you know, talked about this countless times. It's what's on everybody's mind. It's what's on my mind. And the reason why China's getting better right now is because people are fearful of what the government is going to come up next to restrict growth, to restrict competition, to restrict your overall daily uh, business operations to conform to a set of guidelines, to conform to a set of ideologies that the government defines as a healthy uh, model to follow. So that, to me, is what's going on. This is a huge rectification process. This is a huge adjustment process. Um, And... I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out why this is happening at this time. I mean, this China is not really alone here in terms of introducing all these, uh, you know, data scrutiny, anti-competition regulations, antitrust, anti-monopoly. You, you, you can go to Europe, you can go to the U.S. They have similar laws that's already set up. 
So why is China getting the brunt of the damage right now and the negative sentiment? Um, it's because they haven't really done this yet. So people are fearful you're going into kind of a black hole on the ramifications of of what the government can do here. And it doesn't look like yet that we are coming along the end of the tunnel. Um, and that is concerning. So that's why China equities have underperformed this year. Um, you know, it's been a kind of a stock picking world. Uh, I've been kind of fortunate to pick a couple winners, but it's been very, very difficult uh, to pick anything in China equities. Basically, anytime the government comes out and talks, it's uh, everybody scraps up and figures out who's impacted. I've mentioned before that you've got to do your due diligence, not just concentrate on the big companies like Alibaba, Tencent, which gets most of the media press headlines on the regulatory side, you got to do a due, due diligence on all the small companies as well. Not everybody's insulated. What I've been trying to do lately is trying to figure out the companies that are that are relatively insulated versus its peers. No one's going to be 100% insulated. There's no company out there uh, from what's going on on the regulatory front. However, there will be some that will outperform others. Um, just because the regulatory impact on those companies will be a lot less. And think about it this way. There's always going to be Chinese-focused funds out there or international funds that have a mandate to invest a certain percentage of their money in China. So they have to put their money somewhere. So my thinking is they're going to go and find those companies that are going to be relatively better insulated. Um, So that would actually help those um, you know, help those stocks a lot more than, um, say, for example, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, Meituan. These companies, they're getting uh, most of the regulatory pressures. Um, also, private companies, you know, private companies, the biggest unicorn in the world, probably in history right now, is ByteDance. They're also undergoing a tremendous adjustment period a lot of businesses are going to shut down. They're going to have to downsize some of their operations to conform to, um, you know, all these regulations. So, yes, it's a tough period right now to be invested in China equity. But as you mentioned earlier, that doesn't mean you shouldn't put zero percent of your money in China. You just have to be a lot more diligent on your research to figure out which guys can be investable um, in the short term. Can I interrupt there for a second? Yeah. Um, Okay, so it's really interesting um, to hear how you, like, explained this change, but there were two different things in there um, in terms of the regulations. One, the the bullish part was where you said that this is just a catch-up to the United States and Europe, for example, on... Um, monopoly and so on and so forth, all of that kind of stuff. Um, because, and that makes sense, right? Because the United States and Europe have been going through industrial revolution for a few hundred years and China has been doing it for 50 years or 60 years or whatever it is. And, and so there's sort of like a compressed time frame, and not everything gets done 
you know, early on and, and there's catch up periods and so on and so forth. And so, um, so I think that, that that actually is bullish, right? Because that would basically argue that um, there's like coming out of this, um, the capitalist estate of China will not look that different from the rest of the world, from Western capitalist economies like the United States and Europe. The other thing you mentioned in there is ideology that um, the government's trying to kind of assess like healthy ideology. And that's where um, I think probably there's more of the like the fear where, where investors are throwing out uh, the baby with the bathwater, where this is, becomes the opportunity. And I'll tell you, I'll just share a conversation I had with an investor uh, portfolio manager the other day who explained that, who explained to me his view at least that um, that China um, had uh, wanted to um, grow the income of its people and grow the wealth of the country, and going back, you know, since Mao basically, and opened up this capitalist path for companies. But if you look at the institutions in China, you know, the, there really is no separate, like, for example, there's no separate religion institution. There's really one institution, right? The party, the Communist Party dominates the government. The government dominates everything. There is no separate in, institution that can operate uh, as its own entity. Just like in the United States, we have millions of, and every, every single individual is its own entity who operates freely to a certain degree. So it's a little bit different structure. And so, so this portfolio manager was explaining to me that in China, they've allowed this second estate to grow up, this capitalist estate to be created. But now they've decided, or potentially the risk is that they've decided that they're going to consolidate all of that into one and have that just be kind of like a one, um, just like just like there's no separation between sort of church and state, for example. There's no church element. In China, there's just, it's all sort of a monolithic uh, thing that it would be swept up into this monolith. And that was kind of like the fear factor, I think. That was very different from how you explained it, which is, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you've got the details better, which is that, you know, this is more like about a catch-up on existing regulations. So help me parse through those two things, which is kind of like the historic, you know, movement of China across this capitalist experiment and successful experiment where the government is now on ideology relative to capitalism uh, and, and, you know, really, if it's just a catch-up against Europe and U.S. regulations on, you know, monopolies and, and anti-competitive behavior and things like that, I mean, wouldn't that be, like, enormously bullish because you're just basically saying that this capitalist state is going to be similar to the Western economies and, and you got to buy, buy with two hands right, right now? Yeah, uh, you know, I agree with everything you said. I, I'll address your um, comment on PM uh, a little bit later, but let me just address the first part because I think this is really important. Not many people understand this. So, you know, I'm not an expert on U.S. or European policy on the on the regulatory front, but I've read plenty of, uh, you know, opinions on what's going on in China and the kind of the comparison that people make with the EU and the U.S. So, yes, this is not only going on in China. Other places, including even South Korea, just recently started doing the same thing, cracking down on their giants, like Kakao, I think, is a social media giant. 
and making sure they don't do anything anti-competitive and things like that. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, China just gets most of the blame on what's going on the regulatory side. But frankly, you know, a lot of the developed countries are doing something similar. Now, China has been under a kind of a laissez-faire environment for about 30 years or so, ever since Deng Xiaoping opened up China to the, the rest of the world in about 1978. So when that happened and, you know, people were trying to drive growth, drive investment, the government kind of, yes, they were there to supervise what's going on, but they basically let everything flow through, um, just like from a capitalist economy. I, I think, you know, when what your portfolio manager said is, is kind of a, uh, will be a severe case of what's going on. What he's basically saying is more and more of these institutions will be more state-owned and state-operated and state-controlled. Um, so, you know, that way the private businesses either have to become non-profit or they have to get bought out by the government or the government just shuts them down. Now, what he's referring to is probably a very slim part of what's going on on the regulatory front. Of course, education is one of them, right? Education, I mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, is, is getting uh, into a new era now. Uh, they've become nonprofit in their highly profitable K-12 business, which means they have to change their business strategy and go into other areas like vocational education, adult education, and so forth. Now, the other part of what I find his comments very interesting because I, I, uh, it just seems very <laughs> uh, kind of drastic what he's thinking the government is doing is, yes, to, to some extent, you know, companies like Alibaba, they're getting some of their business segments more controlled. Uh, particularly on the data side. Look at what's going on with Ant Group. You know, Alipay this past week, again, they they basically say their, their credit arms, Huawei and Jebei, have to be independent. They have to be separated. We have to monitor each of them separately. So investors get, again, scared, like, how much more of the control and business adjustments and business reorganizations are we going to see for all of these giant, you know, uh, internet companies that control tremendous amount of information, tremendous amount of data. Um, so it, it is a fear out there, but I don't think it's in China's best interest to nationalize a lot of these, uh, a lot of these companies. That's not, based on my understanding, that's not going to happen. That would you know, that will throw the growth um, opportunities really out the window because of all the restrictions. So they don't want to necessarily kill their economy here. What they want to do is to get rid of the excesses that has dominated China uh, over the past 10 to 20 years that may end up hurting the consumer, right? And right now there's, there's been this big drive on on helping anything for their younger 
for the younger generation, from you know cracking down video games, cracking down on 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 suffocating educational learning that the parents are you know forcing to place on their kids just to keep up with their peers. So the government wants a better life for the for the for the young kids out there. They don't want them to be exposed to things that could hurt them from a mental perspective, physical perspective, or from a social ideological perspective as well. So um you know, I I have mixed opinions on this because they you know, I feel like you have to understand that some of the things that are ongoing for these little kids, they already become part of their livelihood. Um, and you're making a big shift in, you know, how they go about their lives, what they can enjoy, um, what are their interests, how, you know, how they're impacted spending going forward. So there's a lot of implications out there that everybody is trying to guess on, on what's going to happen. Um, so, so Ami, I, I, I would say yes. I think right now is an adjustment period. China's not alone in this adjustment period. They're just behind, and now they're just catching up to the rest of the world. So, so you know that is point number one. Point number two, yes, some of these assets will be nationalized. For example, education. Um, but I don't think it will be this severe so that they'll restrict all of the growth uh, growth branches, if you will, for all of these high-tech, high-growth Internet companies so that the government can better monitor them. They just want to make sure that nothing is uh, – nothing can hurt uh, China's image and China's data, data – data, data control, right? As, as, as now China, a lot of the businesses are not only domestic, but they're multinational, they're international. So a lot of the information is fed to other countries, particularly the U.S. And, you know, they just want to make sure that everything is, is controlled and appropriate from a, a data security perspective. It makes sense. It just think, but my thing is they're kind of doing this too, too fast and too aggressively in a short amount of time. The other thing to keep in mind is there's a national election next year. This is probably the most important national election in, in, in many, many years. Xi Jinping has already been elected 10 years. If he gets reelected next year, that means he'll be the first Chinese president to be elected to three terms. So that's why there's a lot of, you know, basically phrases out there that he's, he's, he's a president for life. Um, so a lot of these regulations that's ongoing stem from people trying to kiss his ass before the regulations, uh, before the elections next year. So, you know, can I, can I next can I year? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just want to No, that that's super helpful. I guess, and maybe I just like interrupted right before you can answer this question, but like, how do you view, like, obviously the space has gotten walloped. How do you view the election next year in terms of it being a positive or negative catalyst for, you know, equity prices going forward? 
uh, forward, or is it a non-event? I, I, I don't think – I think it's a big event. I, I, I actually think China recovers next year just because leading – And well, maybe it, it won't happen. It won't happen until after – it may not happen until after the election, which is in November. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there will be a tremendous relief rally uh, after the elections as, you know, the officials, the, 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 the newly elected officials get reelected or, you know, get replaced. And there'll be less fear on, you know, other things that they could do to disrupt the economy. It's already happening. You saw the macro data yesterday um, for China. It doesn't look good. So, yeah, look, generally speaking, I'm still very optimistic. I I just think, right? Yeah, go ahead. No, because when do we get, like, I mean... There's so much uncertainty. Like, is there a roadmap to getting certainty, or is is the is that dependent on like the outcome of the election? Right. I'm just trying to figure out, like, from a timing standpoint, you know, when, you know, when I, I understand what you're saying in terms of like there being a bottoming and like a recovery here, but I'm, I'm just curious, like, when will corporations in in China know? like what the rules are, like what the, you know, so there's not as much uncertainty so they can actually like build for the next five years without having to worry about getting like undercut or is that, you know, not going to happen until like after the election. Well, no one knows uh, yeah. the, the timetable. I'm guessing it'll, you have better clarity after the election. Um, but uh, I'm hoping it'd be sooner than that because since it's been ongoing for, you know, ever since it's late last year with Jack Ma opening his mouth. So I'm hoping we're kind of near the end of this, but, um, you know, I don't okay, have let me any the, evidence. To show. Let, me ask the, let me ask that question in a different way. Um, as investors, um, if we are um, agreeing with your view that, that this is catch-up regulation, that it's being done with too much haste for the markets, um, that it's also being done with a deadline of people trying to impress their boss, um, which that pressure eases uh, after the election. Um, and if we take all of that and we say, you know, post-election, there's going to be a capitalist estate, just like there was over the last 10 years, and it will be, look a lot the same. It will just have, you know, tight, some tighter regulations, which obviously, as you mentioned, um, the, if, if we if we agree with all that, really what we want to be doing is buying peak uncertainty. So I guess maybe the question for you, Felix, is if now that the shoes are dropping, if you had to imagine what other shoe or shoes could drop here, like what other things do you think they could announce, um, or or the macro data, like how flow that through your head, like what what what, what could what could actually hurt. What's the downside case for these equities now? Like, if you were to short, like, a China ETF here, what would be, like, the thesis? I know I don't think you – doesn't tell me you would want to, but, like, just what would be the thesis, like, the two- to three-bullet thesis of, like, what could happen to pressure these equities further? Uh, well, I think GDP target uh, right now is being talked about uh, for China. And, you know, if we could get – Cutting half. I mean, right now, probably everybody's forecasting. I think it's like six percent or so, at least six percent GDP growth. 
you know, China is a big country. It needs to grow pretty fast on the GDP front to, you know, make sure everything is pretty smooth. That's why we have big GDP growth uh, there. So if it falls below five or four even um, on a trending basis, you know, you could get into really big trouble here uh, on, on my social perspective. On uh, So I, I, I know the government's keeping an eye on that. And the way to short this is if you believe there's not going to be any policies coming, so no policy support, government's going to and continue to ramp up on the regulation front, then yeah, you know, shorting China is 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 probably uh, the right way to do it. I don't. I I I think eventually or very close, the government officials are already looking at the data, and um, doesn't look that good. So they need to help on the policy side. Um, you know, could come later this year. So if that comes, I I think you know there'll be a change in sentiment at least from a policy perspective. I don't think anything new may change on the regulatory perspective. But at least from a from a policy perspective, um, that could support the market. But if that doesn't happen and you continue to see this rectification process going on the uh no, on the regulations. Uh, it's not just regulations that's driving the stock price down. It's the impact of the regulations on the growth path. I want to get that out of the way because people are shorting China because a regulation gets in the way. Well, sometimes regulation could be positive. Sometimes regulation could be negative, but they could be positive as well. I've mentioned several examples in the past how regulation can be positive. So it's not just regulation per se. It's how it impacts the business model. Does it drive lower growth? Does it introduce more competition? Does it, you know, how is it going to impact the consumers? That's what you have to figure out as an analyst. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, that's what will happen. No policy support, uh, pretty much gas, kettle, Remains firmly pressed on the on introducing more restrictions, not opening up the capital markets, uh, and then potential you know small nationalizations along the way. Now there is there's 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 an interesting case uh, of Evergrande, um, which is not go- looks like they're going to go on. Uh, they're, they're already in trouble, right? And they could they could certainly default. On their on their on their desk. Evergrande is a property giant in China, so people are watching on that um, to see if you know the potential ramifications and how it could disrupt the banking system, the real estate, uh, real estate and property sectors, and how the government takes care of this, uh, just because they uh, you know they could potentially default. So that's another risk that could happen for China, but. And then I, I haven't even mentioned what's going on, on the U.S. side because <laughs> there's plenty of uh, hurdles on the China side. But on the U.S. side, look, the SEC is after the Chinese companies on the delisting front. Uh, they want more. They want China to open their books. Um, I still think there's going to be some kind of collaboration on the accounting value from the SEC and then from the from from from, from China side. 
to you know construct a comprehensive framework so that it will please both parties. Um, meanwhile, Joe, you know Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, apparently had a phone call, reached out, but you know President Xi basically said, "I don't want to meet you." Uh, so that's not good. Uh, so the rhetoric in the relations between the U.S. and China hasn't gotten better, um, at least on paper. So, you know, gosh, uh, I want to say a lot. You know, I'm trying to think of something positive to say, but it, it's just a lot of a lot of uh, hurdles. But the thing is, I mean, what's interesting about my sector is, you know, it's it's very volatile. Uh, volatility does go both ways. You know, things could be down 10% a day, and that scares away a lot of people. But if if I'm right on this is just an adjustment period, and it's been a very painful adjustment period, um, nothing stays like this, right? And if the government eventually goes back to uh, its normal self, which I, I don't know if will happen anytime soon, but if they, if they do, then, then again, this is a great opportunity to get into some of the high-growth business models that you won't really find anywhere else around the world. I'm hoping that's the case. Um, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm still optimistic. It's been very difficult, uh, but you know, there's still some companies out there that can weather the storm better than others. I'll just leave, leave it at that. What would be an example of one or two of the high growth business models that you like would first think of like in a moment where let's say in the next six months we get to that point where in your mind this is like peak uncertainty we get the data that shows you know the revision down for GDP expectations we get some US FCC tightening or something like a wealth notice or whatever it is um, some kind of thing right that that pressures the sentiment even further what would be, what would be like the first three that you're like? Like, let's just say we woke up this morning and Chinese equities broadly are down another ten to twenty percent this morning. What would be the first three equities that in your mind pop in and you're like, just like I just, I just have to blindly buy these. Uh, well, I pitched um, if if we're getting to peak regulatory concerns, you know, I pitched Pinodor. I think Pinodor is if they continue to be on the right path. And they're the leader in e-commerce. You can't short. It's very hard to, to short the leader unless you don't think they're going to be the leader for long. It's hard to short a leader in the space. So I want to long the leader there. Um, I I want to long Alibaba, but frankly, that's been a you know that's more of a event-driven play. I still think the way to own this is with a Tencent partnership. Both Tencent's not budging on that, so I um, I'm very disappointed there. But Alibaba has probably taken the most of the regulatory damage more than some of the other names. Um, so, you know, they're going to bounce back faster than others. And, uh, you know, like a, um, I, I still think you, you got to look at some exposure in that's more insulated um, from regulatory. And if, if, if the regulatory pressures ease, then these, players will grow even faster. For example, the footwear companies I've mentioned in the past, the sportswear companies in China, they you know, they have the policy support even without 
policy support, they were getting a lot of attention from young domestic consumers. So that's just you know a couple of examples. But there, there, there's, there's, there's other examples as well in my space. Um, but kind of those three come to mind just because they've been so much under pressure. The other thing to keep in mind about China is, yes, everybody hates China now. You know, it's not investable. But look at where it's now. A lot of these large caps are down well over 50%, more, even more than that in some cases. Uh, and you compare that with a Facebook and, and Google, it's, you know, it's black and white. It, that's how much you know, difference in, in share price performance they've, uh, they've experienced. So at some point, I feel like this is a tremendous opportunity. Um, but, you know, I've already learned my lesson trying to buy a following knife. It's not easy at all. No, it's, it's, it's never, uh, it's never easy. Um, I have started my career as a U.S. semiconductor analyst, um, and um, we were heavily involved with memory stocks like SanDisk back then and Micron, who's still around, and um, trying to buy falling knives because you were at the end of the pricing deterioration and so on and so forth, and like it was always very tough because there was always there's always another ugly branch to, to hit on the way down that, you know, you didn't see coming. Um, it's always a tough business um, to do. Uh, better to let it uh, settle out um, and for the noise to cease. Usually the stocks find some kind of trough level for a little while um, it, where, you know, incremental bad news doesn't make it go down. Maybe even make it go up and you miss, maybe you miss the beginning of the rally, but it's, better to do it that way than uh, usually than to try to buy it on the way down, usually, usually. Um, Chinese equities may actually be different because there's so much, um, I think people understand the macro demand picture for these things. And I think the setup longer term um, will attract a lot of capital or does typically attract a lot of capital. So they may really like these stocks may have like V bottoms. Um, but we'll have to um, wait and see. And, um, and obviously, we'll continue to talk to you on um, Unscripted Equity Curiosity, and we'll have future installments, hopefully, where you're just, like, frothing at the mouth, like, I told you guys to buy, and things are up 20% already, and, like, got to get it now, and all that kind of stuff, and Andrew and I will um, dutifully agree. Um, so... Uh, that's it for today's episode. Unless, uh, sorry, Andrew, Felix, if you guys um, had any like final thoughts to share uh, before we wrap up. Nope, I'm all set. Thanks, Felix. That was really great. Yeah, thanks, Felix. That was amazing. Felix, do you want to? Do you want to? Is there any kind of like last thoughts you want to make sure to give us on the way out? Did we lose you, Felix. <laughs> good timing. Hey, sorry, sorry. Uh, no, I was just gonna say. Uh, hopefully, the next time we talk on something more in depth on China, it'll be something more positive. <laughs> so that's all. Yeah. I'll leave it. Well, it's just all of this. I think in the rearview mirror uh, will be positive, right? Because this will all be like us getting knowledge when the stocks are down, as opposed to like chasing them when they're up and giving us all a chance to at least buy a little bit now. And, um, you know, we can always buy more later on. Um, all right. Well, that's it for today's Unscripted. Uh, thank you, Felix. 
Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com terms of service.